The sermon text for this morning is Hebrews chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. As we continue in the letter to the Hebrews, working our way, as is our custom at Grace, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through a whole book of the Bible. So this morning I will be reading Hebrews chapter 11, verses 27 through 29. There we read, By faith he, that is Moses, left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. Now, we have come across this phrase, by faith, several times in Hebrews chapter 11. And here in verses 27 through 29, we see that it's this phrase that starts each verse, this phrase, by faith. And each of these verses that we just read point out something about Moses' faith, that his true uh, saving faith led Moses to do some very specific things that God commanded him. We know that Moses and all of the Old Testament saints listed in Hebrews 11, they uh, believed in God. And they specifically believed that God would provide a Redeemer who would save them from their sins. All of the old covenant saints were looking forward to the Redeemer. They were looking forward to Christ. So they were not perfect people or sinless people. but They were people who had true faith, true faith in the one that was to come. As we saw last week uh, in verse 26, Moses himself, Moses, who lived... Uh, over a thousand years before Jesus was born, Moses considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than all the treasures of Egypt. The writer of Hebrews there is showing us, as he is inspired to write by the Holy Spirit, it says that by faith Moses believed God would fulfill his promises, and Moses looked past the difficulties of his life, and he looked to the eternal reward that he would have by faith in Christ, by faith in the coming Messiah. And as a result of Moses' true faith, the author of Hebrews points out two aspects of Moses' life that I want us to consider this morning. Both aspects center around the idea of assurance. First, this morning, we are going to consider how Moses' faith in Christ gave him great boldness in his dealings with Pharaoh. That by faith, Moses was assured that he who was with him was greater and more powerful than Pharaoh, uh, the king of Egypt. You know, some of us might be uh, paralyzed and anxious about people's opinions of us. Or we might feel anxious about our nation's increasing hostility toward Christians. And so I want us to consider how true faith responds to uh, such fears. How does true faith respond to uh, those who are uh, more powerful, seemingly, uh, than, than us? 
And secondly, we are going to consider how Moses' faith gave him great assurance that God would spare him and all of Israel from the judgment that came upon the Egyptians. We know that God warned Moses and Israel of the judgment that was coming. And so we'll see it was by faith that Moses and Israel obeyed God. And by faith, they used the means God provided in order that they might be spared the judgment that fell upon others. They believed God's warning, and they trusted in God's means of salvation. You and I, we are living in a similar situation. God has warned us that there is a judgment day coming when Christ will come to judge the living and the dead. And so how does true saving faith respond to such a warning? And so let us uh, consider first this morning how true faith leads to courage and boldness in this life as we see that by faith, uh, Moses feared God and not man. That by faith, Moses feared God and not man. We read again Hebrews 11, verse 27. By faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now, as we begin to look at this verse, you know, there is some discussion among theologians about this verse, uh, specifically about what event the writer of Hebrews is referring to in uh, Moses' life. The question is, you know, is, is the writer of Hebrews referring to the first time Moses left Egypt? That first time after he killed the Egyptian and buried his body in the sand. You may remember that Moses had to flee Egypt as a result of, of that crime he committed because he feared for his life. Um, some theologians believe uh, otherwise, that the writer of Hebrews is referring to the second time that Moses uh, left Egypt, when he fled with Israel out of Egypt on the night of the Passover. You know, after uh, considering uh, this passage this week and looking at the different views, I agree with uh, John Calvin and John Owen that the writer here is referring to the second time that Moses left Egypt during the Exodus, when we know throughout the chapters of, of, of the book of Exodus, as we read about Moses' dealings with Pharaoh, Moses was clearly without fear in his dealings with the king of Egypt. And those dealings, we know, began when God called Moses to lead his people, to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt. We read in Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 through 24, the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery, and they cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And we read that God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God saw the distress that his people were experiencing. And then it was out of the burning bush, the bush that burned but was not consumed, that God called Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. We read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and following about what God said to Moses. He said, I have seen the affliction 
of my people who are in Egypt. And I have heard their cry because of their harsh slave drivers. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land. And then continuing in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This was God's call to Moses. God would use Moses to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. And so what was Moses' initial response? For sure, Lord, let's, let's do this. Let's go. That wasn't Moses' initial response because we read instead in the book of Exodus that Moses had a series of objections, of reasons that he hesitated to accept this call of God. In fact, Moses had four uh, objections in particular. And as we'll see with each objection, God came back to Moses and reassured him that his objections were baseless. See, Moses' first objection in the book of Exodus that was that Moses felt inadequate to do this great thing that God was calling him to do. We read in Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, Moses says to the Lord, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Lord, who am I? I'm just a man, and you're calling me to do this great thing. And God reassured Moses by saying in verse 12, I will be with you. I will be with you. God says to Moses, Moses, you're not going to Pharaoh alone. I will be with you. I am sending you. You are going in my name, in my authority, by my power. Moses And lifted up a second objection. Moses did not know the name of God. The name of God had probably been lost over the many centuries of slavery in Egypt. And so Moses says to the Lord, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God reassured Moses, verse 14, say to the children of Israel, I am has sent you. Now, why was this reassuring for Moses? Well, in the Bible, we know that a person's name often reveals some attribute about their character or about their personality. And with this name, God was revealing to Moses the eternity of his being. He didn't say to Moses, I was or I will be. I am. That He is the eternal, all-powerful, and unchanging God of the universe who would surely fulfill his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All of that was encompassed in that name, I am. There was a third objection, though, that Moses made to God. Moses thought that Israel would not listen to him. We read in Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Israel will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And God reassured Moses by showing Moses several signs that he was then to do in front of the people of Israel to prove that God was with him and that God had sent him to do this great thing. You know, that 
God turned the staff of Moses into a serpent. Uh, the Lord afflicted Moses' hand with leprosy and then quickly cured uh, the leprosy. And Moses, as I said, was to use these signs in order to prove God's uh, presence with him and power upon him. And God appeared to him and called him to lead Israel out of slavery in Egypt. But there was this fourth objection that Moses raised up to God. Moses was slow of speech. He had some form of a speech impediment, and he was worried that he might not be eloquent enough to speak for God before Pharaoh and all of Israel, to address such a large number of people and to address someone as great as the king of Egypt. Moses said in Exodus chapter 4, verse 10, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. God gave Moses this wonderful reassurance. Verse 11 and following, God said to Moses, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. And God, we know, used Aaron, Moses' brother, saying that uh, I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and I will teach you both what to do. So as we look at the book of Exodus, consider Moses' objections. You know, he's exhausted all of his objections before the Lord. He's given one excuse after another, and having heard God's reassurances, to his objections, what do you think Moses' response was? It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Exodus chapter 4, verse 13, Moses said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. That was his final, you know, uh, final just, Lord, please send someone else. You know, many Christian stores have those uh, decorative wood carvings or the posters or bookmarks with, like, well-known verses from the Bible, uh, verses like Joshua chapter 24, verse 15. Joshua said to Israel, you can imagine Joshua and this great leader of Israel, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. In the Christian stores, they have the posters, right, with that wonderful verse. And uh, another one that I see often is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 8, where Isaiah hears God's question of who will go to preach to the people of Israel, and Isaiah says, here am I, send me. But, you know, I've never seen Exodus chapter 4, verse 13 on a poster or on a bookmark. You know, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. So, friends, you know, this is something that we've noted throughout our time in Hebrews, that the people listed in this hall of faith were not perfect people. They were not superheroes of the faith. They were sinners. Sinners like you and like me, and they had struggles. They had feelings of inadequacies and hesitations. They, they had their own internal turmoil sometimes. But what we see with each of these Old Covenant saints, and especially with Moses, is that despite their own insecurities, despite their internal struggles, what they did is they put their trust in the Lord. 
there came a point in their lives where they stopped looking at themselves, they stopped analyzing themselves and looking at their own insecurities and looking at their own doubts, and they placed their trust firmly in the Lord. See, that's what the writer of Hebrews is emphasizing for us about Moses here in verse 27 of Hebrews 11, that by faith, Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. See, it was by faith. As Moses trusted in the Lord and went before Israel and then before Pharaoh, he did not fear Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, because he knew who the true king was. True king is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. See, what we see with Moses, as one writer says, is Moses paid more attention to the invisible king of kings than to the visible king of Egypt. And loved ones, now I want you to consider this morning that this was a no small matter. Consider what Moses was asking of Pharaoh. Right? Moses was going before one of the most powerful men in the world, a man who was a godless, cruel tyrant, as we saw even in our reading this morning. And Moses was telling him that he needed to let his entire workforce, all of his slaves, over 600,000 people according to the Bible, that they needed to just be able to leave, right? just like that. And Moses was saying, if you don't uh, let us go, God will bring a series of plagues over Egypt, plagues that will bring the country to a standstill. It will ruin your economy, and ultimately it'll bring, these plagues will bring a devastation upon your own family. And so how could, how could Moses get the courage and the boldness to do such a great thing? Verse 27 of Hebrews 11 gives us the answers. By faith. By faith Moses left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. So friends, by way of application, we need to understand this morning that you know, we are not called to be Moses. Moses lived during a particular time in redemptive history, and God gave Moses a unique role. So we are not called to be Moses, but we are called to have this kind of faith, faith that fears God more than man, that reverences, that's the key, that reverences God more than man. See, because true faith sees God's sovereign hand over all things and trusts in God. How sovereign is God, loved ones? Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1 says, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. And this is why we are not to fear those whom God has placed in authority over us. Because God is the one who directs and guides, not just them, but all the events of the world. It's in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus warned his disciples of the persecution they would face 
because they confessed his name. Persecution, we know, that came at the hands of both Jewish and Gentile authorities. The early church would soon have the whole Roman Empire bearing down upon them. The Roman Empire would be trying to stamp out the church by systematically killing Christians during that first century, but throughout the first three centuries after Christ ascended, the government would come in and work to shut down Christian businesses, try to make life as difficult as possible for those who confess the name of Christ. Jesus warned his disciples of all these things. What did Jesus say was to be their response to this opposition, to this persecution? We read in Matthew chapter 10, verse 26 and following. Jesus said, do not fear, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. See, friends, the Lord Jesus teaches us here that our sovereign God has ordered all things down to the fall of a bird from the sky, down to the number of hairs on our heads, down to the hearts of earthly rulers, hearts that he sovereignly directs as he pleases. And true faith will cause us, therefore, to believe this reality. True faith will cause us to look past the rulers of this age to the ultimate one who rules over all things, to see the world as God sees it. So, loved ones, God has promised that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Do you, do you believe that? True faith con- confidently says that the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And the answer, true faith, is that man cannot do anything to me that the Lord has not ordained. We see, secondly, that by faith, Moses trusted in God's means of salvation. By faith, Moses feared God more than man. Secondly, Moses trusted in God's means of salvation. We read in verses 28 through 29 of Hebrews 11, By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. The writer of Hebrews now refers, we see, to these two very significant events in Israel's history, the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea. We read about both of these events in our first and second readings this morning. Now, it's important to note that both of these events were judgments. And in our reading, I'm sure you noticed that. Both of these events were judgments of God against sin and unbelief. We consider first the Passover. The Passover was God's judgment. It was the 10th plague that God brought over unbelieving Pharaoh. 
and all of Egypt. And each of the plagues, we know, if you have read through Exodus, and perhaps even use a study Bible, each of the plagues described in Exodus fell on areas of life that were supposedly protected by one of Egypt's gods. And God, in bringing this judgment, is not only judging sin, but exposing the falsehood of Egypt's idols. We read about this 10th plague, this judgment, that as God was preparing to take his people out of their slavery in Egypt, he would bring one final plague upon the Egyptians. On that night, the Lord himself would pass through Egypt, and every firstborn child in the land of Egypt would die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh to all the firstborn of the cattle. How would Israel escape this judgment? That was the question in Israel's mind. If this judgment was coming over all the land, how would Israel be spared? They would be spared by the blood of the lambs that marked their doorposts. We read in Exodus chapter 12, verse 13, the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. Loved ones, what did Israel have to do? They had to trust in God's means of deliverance, in God's means of salvation for his people. You can imagine the children asking that night as the father was putting the blood on the doorposts, Dad, what are you doing with that blood? And the father replying, we are obeying God. What we are doing is we are trusting in God's provision to spare us from the judgment that is to come. And so, loved ones, all of those lambs that night were sacrificed in order to spare Israel from judgment. Those lambs died in order that many in Israel might not die. You see the gospel here, friends? See how the Lord is preparing the hearts of Israel for the lamb who was to come. Because we know that all of those lambs in the Passover merely pointed forward to the Lamb that God would send. They were types and shadows of Christ, the Messiah, who would come in the fullness of time to save his people by bearing the judgment, by bearing the wrath and the curse of God for sin. That's why it is Christ who John in Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 says is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, writes John in his gospel, chapter 1, verse 20. And the Apostle Paul says that Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. See, loved ones, Christ died. Christ, our Passover Lamb, died in order that those who trust in him might not die, but have eternal life. So what about the Red Sea? The event that we know tempted, uh, tested Israel's faith to the limit, right? As they fled from Egypt that night, Pharaoh's army was behind them, 
and the Red Sea was before them. And, you know, it was in that moment that Israel realized, unless God provides deliverance, we are going to die here or be taken back to slavery in Egypt. And what we know is that that, time, that moment, Israel witnessed God's salvation by grace and his judgment for sin. This is what the Red Sea water symbolized. Salvation from God's judgment for God's people, but also judgment upon the wicked. Because the same waters that saved Israel, that delivered Israel, the same waters brought judgment upon the Egyptians. See, the Red Sea crossing reveals the glory of the gospel. Because the same Christ who brings salvation to those who trust in him by faith is the same Christ who will bring judgment on those who reject him in unbelief. He is the fragrance of life to some and the fragrance of death to others. It's the gospel. So, friends, I want to ask you this morning, are you trusting in the only one who can save you from the judgment to come? The Bible calls us to trust in Christ and in him alone, to trust in Christ, the Lamb who shed his blood for all those who believe. The Bible calls us to trust in Christ who was drowned in the waters of the Father's wrath so that his people might be saved. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the rich truth of your word that so clearly reveals to us the way of salvation. Grant us assurance, we pray, and we may trust in Christ the Lamb who takes away the sins of all those who trust in Him. Cause us, we pray, to seek our refuge in Him and Him alone. And bless us now, we pray, as we partake of this spiritual feast before us. For it's in Jesus' name that we ask these things. Amen.